Chapter 38. The Road Toward Poverty. Commences with a quote by John Rawls. A just society is a society that if you knew everything about it, you'd be willing to enter it in a random place. There have been nights when I've sat in bed telling Melinda that I truly think it would be a blessing for us to move into a little shack, maybe even our original love shack, on a small block of land, to shake off the binding ties of investments, rental properties, trusts and contracts, to go back to the way we were in our early years together, not because of some nostalgia-warped yearning for the good old days, the truth is I quite like the present days, but as a way of simplifying life and resetting our priorities, a somewhat literal reversal of fortune. Instead of getting busier and busier in business and acquiring greater and greater wealth until the day we die, we would turn a corner mid-journey and seek the road back. We could call it our road toward poverty. It wouldn't be a monasticized form of poverty where we would labor tirelessly to try to somehow earn or develop inner righteousness by avoiding all material blessings. There's nothing truly righteous about casting off all comforts and living an ascetic, impoverished existence, though it certainly may assist us in our Christian walk at specific times. The last pagan emperor of Rome, Emperor Julian, I so wish he had a different Christian name, wrote in a letter that the only reason he seized the assets of Christians was to make them poor enough to enter heaven. Being a non-believer, he may have thought that poverty was a way for Christians to earn a ticket to glory. He clearly didn't understand that three centuries earlier, Jesus had paid the entire entry fee for anyone who believes in him, rich or poor. Being materially poor, by circumstance or by choice, is not a prerequisite for eternal life. However, as we have clearly seen in some of Jesus' discussions with the wealthy, there certainly is some spiritual benefit in divesting yourself of things that are cluttering your heart. Let's flesh out this road toward poverty idea a bit. John Wesley, the great 18th century open-air preacher, famously said, When I die, if I leave behind me ten pounds, you and all mankind bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and robber. I'm not sure I totally agree with him, but I get the point. But should we really try to give everything away before we die? Shouldn't we consider leaving a deathbed legacy, a foundation or trust fund, to allow our estate to keep giving long after we're gone? Wouldn't that be a noble thing to do? Maybe. Unless, of course, my real reason for doing it was just so that I could hold on to more than I needed now so that I could continue to be respected and live comfortably until I die. Then it would just be a selfish foundation for a noble cause. The 19th century educator and politician Horace Mann added an extra angle. Generosity during life is a very different thing from generosity in the hour of death. One proceeds from a genuine liberality and benevolence, the other from pride or fear. Maybe whoever originally said, we need to give God what's right, not what's left, wasn't just talking about what's left at the end of the week, but also at the end of life. And I personally believe that the needs of tomorrow will be no greater than the needs of today. So I really should give it today while I'm still alive. God will raise up others to give to tomorrow's needs and to receive tomorrow's blessings. God can turn stones into bread, 
so he will have no trouble continuing to replace resources into faithful hands in the days ahead. Just in the last few days, I've heard stories of Christians being newly blessed with hundreds of millions of dollars. For me to think that I should hold on to large portions of the blessings God has entrusted me with, to ensure that I can bleed them into his work at a sustainable rate in the future, is, in my opinion, walking a fine line between selfishness and faithlessness. Sometimes people ask me whether they should continue in their businesses or their professions so that each year they can give increasingly large donations to God's work. It's a very genuine and very good question. It shows that the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts, and that's fantastic. My response to them is exactly what God showed me whenever I was in a similar situation. Although there are a mountain of factors that will direct such a decision, for Christians, it all hinges on just two sets of questions. Firstly, are you really giving a significant and sacrificial portion of the profits of your business or profession to God's work? Significant and sacrificial. Or is your true primary purpose for creating the income so that you can maintain a comfortable and respectable lifestyle? Answer the questions honestly. You're the only one listening. Secondly, and most importantly, are you truly maintaining a strong, daily, heart-to-heart relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are your commitments to your business or profession keeping you from the relationship that you know you should have with him? Nobody can answer these questions on your behalf. The answers are sitting in the very deepest recesses of your heart, where no one but you and the Holy Spirit can visit. I can't take you any further on the journey. The ball is completely in your court. But I can tell you where I went from that place. I was convicted, deeply convicted, on my need to change. But the conviction brought further questions. I had to ask myself, could I really do it? Could I truly turn the corner and consciously head toward financial poverty? Could I watch my friends, my peers, continue to increase their wealth while I purposefully depleted ours? Could I walk down the road toward poverty, all the while looking into the ambitious faces of those headed in the other direction? I think I'd have a seismic cringe if I heard people making comments like, Have you heard about that archer guy? He's gone from peacock to feather duster overnight. Is this all just a bird-brained idea? For years I've been energised by skyrocketing sales graphs. The steeply rising slopes of profit and net worth are where I've loved to climb, up where the air is thin and the piers are few. Could my ego handle the steep fall from the heights of being a respected globetrotting businessman to having an average or even far below average net worth? What about our twilight years? How would we survive? So many questions. Maybe this is a suitable point to insert some of Christ's words from Matthew 6:25 and 31 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Christ told us not to worry about things like food and clothes, because he knew that we can only eat one meal at a time, and we can only wear one set of clothes at a time. If the God of the universe has promised to provide these for us, even if only in a -a one-at-a-time way, why should we worry about them? I'm beginning to see, albeit through a spa-bath-induced steamy haze of materialism, that truly internalising this directive from Christ would bring me an incredible sense of freedom and peace. However, wouldn't it be irresponsible to give away what God has already given me if that puts me back into a situation where I need to again daily rely on him for my food and clothing? He's already supplied all my needs once, and yet there I'd be asking for it all again. Wouldn't that be a bit careless? The late Oswald Chambers, one of Britain's most insightful Christian evangelists and teachers, encouraged us to be carefully careless as we safely leave all we have and all we are in God's hands. Carefully careless. Hmm. It's all good food for thought, but I've still got other questions about my road toward poverty idea that I need to sort out. I've worked hard for years, trying to build up enough passive income to retire. But now I'm being convicted that I need to give it away, to rely on God rather than my investments. That hurts, in a rich young ruler sort of a way. Is passive income just for people who aren't prepared to rely fully on a Jehovah Jireh provider God? Is passive income only for passive Christians? Ouch! Or is passive income one of the many ways that a provider God provides? But if it is, how can I be financially secure without becoming spiritually bankrupt? Man, this is challenging stuff. And what about my involvement in the economy of my community? In today's capitalist society, it seems that the purchase and consumption of ever-increasing volumes of goods and services is not just encouraged, but is actually essential for the continuity of society as we know it. The media of the United States, Britain, Europe, Australia and elsewhere constantly reports on the negative impacts of underspending in the retail sector as if actually saving our money is the root of all economic evils. The underlying message seems to be, if you're not buying more than you need, you're not a productive member of society. I'm almost made to feel immoral if I'm not regularly spending money on just about everything that opens and shuts. In light of this deeply entrenched economic model, wouldn't it be my moral duty to support almost any activity that makes me richer and thereby increases cash flow in the system? After all, how can our economy survive if I, and every other member of society, don't become increasingly affluent, or deeply indebted, preferably both, so that we can increasingly spend, spend, spend? I'm being a little facetious, but this is actually the message that we are being given from multiple sources every day. Sadly, many don't have the financial education to know that it is a ludicrous concept, a failed model that leads to governments needing to print billions of dollars of new money to keep it propped up. Just a few years ago, the Australian government was so keen to try to avoid a recession by taking retail spending to a higher level that it actually gave hundreds of dollars to every man, woman and child in the hope that we would go out and spend it. Most of us did. This unexpected nationwide windfall led to one of the most profitable weeks in history 
for the nation's casinos and other gambling establishments. Madness. Back to the topic at hand. Wouldn't working my way towards poverty be an insult to God? After all, he gave me all these gifts, these blessings, and now I'm giving them back. That doesn't sound very polite. Or is it? Remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9.11 about how we are blessed, enriched in every way, so that we can be generous on all occasions? That sounds a bit like we're meant to pass on what God gives us. Not that Paul wants us to be unfairly disadvantaged by our generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8.13 he said, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. This is pretty challenging territory. It's a teaching that has been used to support both communism and corrupt socialism. Millions have lost their lives fighting the inequalities of human-led systems of equality. The late US philosopher John Rawls wrote widely on the need for greater equality and justice in society. He knew about the huge gap between the rich and the poor, and he wanted to encourage us to think more on how we might be able to address these extremes in our local and global worlds. Rawls described his hoped-for societal equality as follows. A just society is a society that if you knew everything about it, you'd be willing to enter it in a random place. The society Rawls described is so just, so fair and so equal, that even if you knew all the facts about it and how it operated and the relationships between all its people, classes, nations and races, you would still be prepared to happily enter it at any point. You would be happy to become one of its rich or one of its poor, one of its leaders or one of its servants. Maybe that's the type of society that Christ and Paul often encouraged. But it's certainly not the world that you and I live in right now. If our world were that utopian, I wouldn't have any problem walking down my road toward poverty. There might not even be a road, just one large, even playing field. 